Alright, listen up. If you're not happy with the way your site's performing, give me a call. Or you can just check out uh, my free webinar, Why All E-Commerce Sites Fail. Uh, it's at nadimo.com slash free. N-A-D-I-M-O dot com slash free for the free webinar. Check it out now. Enjoy the show. You have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something. Your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever. Stay hungry. Hungry. Stay hungry, stay foolish. Welcome to E-Commerce All-Stars, brought to you by Nadimo.com, where we help e-commerce entrepreneurs accelerate growth through modern technology and innovative thinking. Hey everyone, thanks for joining today's show with your host, Brandon Moscow, of course, and today I'm excited. I have Colin McIntosh. She's the CEO and founder of Sheets and Giggles on the line. How are you doing today, Colin? Good, Brandon. I'm uh, actually just staring out at the Rocky Mountains uh, in Denver, and it's been a pretty good day so far. Awesome. I'm from Calgary, Alberta originally, so I have always enjoyed the Rocky Mountains from the yeah. Canadian perspective. Uh, they are absolutely not terrible. And beautiful. What's <laughs> not, that? not terrible, not terrible. No, exactly. <laughs> um, anyhow, I just, uh, I'm glad you're on the show today. I've been uh, looking forward to this call. What I'd love to do is maybe give a little bit of a background on yourself uh, for people. You, you're fresh in your 30s and you've already done quite quite a bit. So I'd love to use the kind of give us a little bit more on that. Yeah, I'm a, I'm officially on the other side of wise now is what I'm what I'm telling people as I go into my 30s. Um, but uh, yeah, so basically my my background's kind of weird. I I graduated from Emory University um, in 2012 uh, and. Uh, you know, it, I started my career at the world's largest hedge fund, uh, a place called Bridgewater Associates. Uh, and I thought I had made it, you know, I thought that I had uh, kind of gotten to the, the peak very early in my career, like world's largest hedge fund, you know, very envious spot to be. Um, and I got fired in like five months. Uh, and, uh, and it was kind of a, an interesting eye-opening experience. And it taught me that I really didn't want to work in that sector. And so um, I ended up uh, becoming a recruiter, so I've, I've done recruiting, and uh, that led to me hiring myself at one of my startup clients in Seattle, uh, which is how I got into startups. And then uh, around 2015, I dropped everything and moved to Denver for Techstars Boulder with a company that I helped to found with a few of my uh, other friends that we were all in our mid-20s together, and it was a really fun uh, adventure. That company raised millions of dollars, and uh, you know, delivered two different products and, and it was a wearable technology company. Um, and then unfortunately we all got laid off at 1 PM on a Monday in September, 2017. Uh, and I founded sheets and giggles in October, 2017 with a very different perspective based off of that experience. Uh, and now we're in year three of sales and, uh, we're, you know, going to do, um, millions of dollars of business this year. Um, and I'm really excited about the growth rate and trajectory that we're on. Um, and, uh, each month this year has been bigger than the corresponding quarter, uh, last year, which is really, really cool. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, um, right now we've, we've got a great, 
great team. And uh, I'm really excited to talk to you about um, whatever your viewers might find most interesting about my experience or what it is that Sheets and Giggles does. Well, I think I think the most one of the interesting things there you said with your I guess your past, so to speak, um, mm -hmm. um, is the path you took. You know, you start with a hedge fund, and it's like that's you know typically speaking, that's you know bigger business, and it's all about profitability mm -hmm. and all these types of things. And um, and then I mean, and then you got fired, and then you get laid off. And I think all good be honest with you all good entrepreneurs i think in some ways go through that experience mm -hmm. i mean obviously there's the uh there are those outliers to that rule um but i do think that the ones who know how to roll up their sleeves and dig dig in deep and and, and understand that you know you can't go in with blinders on is important i think that you focus on sustainability um and i'm not necessarily personally talking about sustainability in in uh you know putting out sustainable products although that is what you do mm -hmm. uh, but also more from you know building a business that is sustainable one that's going to be not only scalable and profitable but i mean profits are what it was actually to me it's it's the profits that sustain a business not the revenues um, right and and i think i think what you're talking about with your your growth trajectory is quite interesting to me and i think that it would be interesting to to a lot of the other people is to hear a little bit more about, you know, your views on, on sustainability and profitability, as well as, you know, how you've, how you've had that, found that success with sheets and giggles. Well, so I think that my, the view comes from the fact that I've seen so many people, whether it's through, through the Techstars network or through, um, you know, just the Denver network or see my Seattle network where I used to live before I moved to Denver. Um, uh, you know, I, I've seen so many folks start a business that has a really, they have a really fantastic product or a really, really interesting problem they're working on or, you know, something that's just really personal to them. And unfortunately, I've seen way, way, way too many people spend years of their lives um, and hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, building something that is just not a business. And, you know, what I, what I mean by that is I was talking to somebody yesterday, literally yesterday, um, and the, the guy has a, a, a great idea and he's building, he's an engineer, he's building this really cool product um, for cross-country skiers and um, nothing wrong with it. Um, but I said, okay, well, so what's the total, total market size that you're looking at for this? And he said, well, right now it's growing 15% year over year and, you know, total addressable market uh, is about $60 million. And I was like, oh man, I was like, that's a, that's a pretty niche, pretty, you know, pretty small market. But he didn't realize how small that was. He thought that was a pretty, a pretty big market. Um, and then, and then the second question I asked him is, you know, about his margins. And he was really excited and jazzed about forty percent gross margin. And and I was trying to tell him that, you know, <laughs> if he does any retail point of sale whatsoever, <laughs> he's he's not gonna, you know, he's gonna lose money on every one of those sales. And I was trying to explain to him how, you know, the margins need to coincide with your go to market and channel strategy in order to make the numbers work. And he needed to, to really do some robust financial modeling to figure out if he had a product or a business. And I think that's a really big distinction. And so, you know, the first thing that we did before we ever made a single bed sheet was we validated the demand for a sustainable luxury option in the bed sheets market. And so we spent, you know, maybe a thousand dollars doing our principal photography, writing copy, setting up our initial Facebook ads and landing pages 
all with the goal of seeing, you know, would people give us their email um, ahead of a crowdfunding campaign for uh, Sheets and Giggles. And we ended up capturing emails at about a 35% uh, conversion rate on that page back in, um, I guess it was around February 2018. And we knew uh, from there what our cost per lead was and basically at a 3% conversion rate on that email list could extrapolate out what our eventual cost of acquisition would be and then use that to basically plug into our model and figure out, you know, at the very least, what is our initial, um, you know, net margin going to be on our crowdfunding sales and can we go to market if we make a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand dollars, and that's what we did initially, and, and we ended up doing two hundred eighty-four thousand dollars crowdfunded, and and I knew that we'd have to do a revenue-based business because I didn't think any investors were going to give a pun-based betting company any money, uh, and so um, you know, bit of a bit of a long answer there in terms of like why it's so important to me, but I guess you're right in the sense of you can only get laid off so many times um, at one p.m. on a Monday before uh, you decide that you never want anybody to have control over your future again. And um, in order to do that, that includes venture capitalists and investors. And you've got to make sure that you have a business model that's going to stand the test of time. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's so true. Um, And that's one of the things, I mean, that, yeah, you can only, you can only take it so many times before you say, that's it. I've had it. I'm dealing this on my own. And and the truth is, is, I mean, there's always a lot of risk in entrepreneurship for Mm -hmm. I'm going to be very blunt about that for people that are listening to the show. Oh yeah. Um, you're not going to just go out there and, you know, like, well, like you've said already with the numbers that you were talking about, and I'm a numbers guy because I believe a lot of business is, well, business is about the numbers. As long as you don't go in with blinders on, like you were, you know I mean, I wouldn't say that the individual that you talked to had blinders on, uh, potentially his numbers were skewed a little bit uh, in regards to what, what, which is very common. I mean, that's right. people who aren't involved in these aspects of business. And this is one of the cases where I always say it's always good to have um, some level of a coach that you can turn to and ask and run these numbers by, like like you basically bluntly asked him about. Um, those are types of situations where something like that is always good to have. But, I mean, when you, when you did what you did uh, with your crowdfunding, um, I just want to ask you a couple of things on that. Yeah, sure. Um, the first thing that you did is it sounds like you, you didn't even really necessarily have a full blown product. You, no. you just made, you know, you, you created almost created the illusion of having the products so that you can build, <laughs> build up or find out, do a test market to figure out how much interest there really is or demand there is. Is that an honest assessment of what you said? Yeah, hundred percent. It's basically so, um, you know, I, I think that that's the direction that I really like to see people take it when they start a business is validate the need and the market reception, and the market demand for the product. And if it's there, um, then build it. But, but before you validate it, you shouldn't build it. And I think that that's where a lot of people get themselves into trouble is they have this really phenomenal idea or they have a problem that is very personal to them. And then they'll just, you know, start hacking away at a solution um, and you know, and if it's a software thing and, and you can build it yourself and it's just something that you're kind of devoting your time to and it's a side project, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that in order to get an MVP out there for people to use and test and, and play with. But, you know, especially specifically talking about physical products, the amount of money that you can sink into building, designing and creating and manufacturing a physical product. Um, you know, I know somebody who developed a really cool thing. 
uh, in Boulder uh, that they sunk $50,000 into um, getting designed and built and, and uh, some inventory built up in their basement. And they're asking me questions about how do I get people to buy this? I need, you know, I'm distributing it to one retail store at a time. Da, da, da. And I just couldn't wrap. I just couldn't believe, you know, how, how much money they had spent. If they had spent that $50,000 on prepping and running a crowdfunding campaign, they probably could have raised hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to bring that product to life and have gotten an initial brand audience and initial customer base and initial word of mouth and, and gotten, you know, going in a really tremendous way. But instead, they just had a bunch of inventory they were sitting on. They were out of cash. And they, right. and they were asking me how to convince investors to give them money. And I was like, I mean, it, it, you kind of put the cart before the horse. Well, that's interesting, too, what you just said about how do you convince investors to give you money. And prior to the call, you said you're not necessarily a capital investment or an investment venture cap fan. So <laughs> and I may have may have put the wrong words in your mouth, so don't quote me on that, people. Um, but one of the things that you've you have talked about a lot is crowdfunding campaigns mm -hmm. um and i believe i mean i'm not i haven't really been involved in many crowdfunding campaigns i'm not gonna i'll be right bold and upfront about that and that's why i think it's interesting to me and i'm gonna dig a little deeper for, with you on because i too have seen that and i do believe that product validation is one of the biggest aspects and, and one of the most missed in some ways because I mean, you can always skew the numbers in your own favor, but how do you actually validate that people are going to buy the product and uh, and those types of things? And crowdfunding is an excellent way to do that, and, and mm -hmm. it also helps to build up your tribe or your you know your your initial customer base as well. Oh yeah, uh, as you've just said. But I would love it if you could expand a little bit more on on how you went about doing the, that crowdfunding campaign, or if you've done others, what 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 you've learned from that little piece of of your yeah so this is probably this is probably my favorite thing to talk about and it's actually something that you know if you want to tell your listeners to skip ahead to whatever whatever minute this is uh so crowdfunding is i think really awesome for a number of reasons like you said it's the it's a validation of your idea it gets you an initial customer base it gets you to market with non-dilutive capital um you know just revenue uh, and you know, they're legally speaking, and obviously this is not, you know, saying to do this, but you don't necessarily owe those people a, an actual product. I mean, you do, if you want to build a company and you don't want to, you know, commit fraud, but like at, at the end of the day, the way that crowdfunding works is people give you money because they want to see your idea come to life. It's a really fantastic, um, exchange. And so the way that I, uh, think about crowdfunding is like you said, just based on the math. Um, you have to understand what your initial goals are. So whatever your goals are as a company, uh, let's say you want to make $100,000 crowdfunded. Uh, the way the crowdfunding math works is that you're going to want to make 30% of that within the first 24 hours, preferably. Uh, that's just kind of the way that the crowdfunding works. You have a big spike, you get some exposure, you get on the homepage, and then you have like a nice little two-week lull. And then, you know, maybe at the end of the campaign, you have another week that's pretty solid. Um, and so the way that it works is you want 30% of your goal on day one. Uh, and so for us, let's say it's $30,000 that we want on day one of the $100,000 goal. Uh, we knew that our average order value from a bedsheets company was going to be about $100. And if I need $30,000 on day one, that means I need 300 customers on day one, period, end of story. And if an email list reasonably converts at 3%, then that means that for my email list for day one, in order to be successful for a crowdfunding campaign to make six figures, 
that means that we need 10,000 emails in order to get 300 customers, in order to get $30,000, in order to reach our $100,000 goal. And so getting 10,000 emails became my singular blinders on focus during my preparation period of that crowdfunding campaign. And yes, I was meeting with manufacturing partners and I was designing our products with our team and we were prototyping and testing and building things out, but we weren't actually committing broad amounts of money or spending broad amounts of money on product development until we actually validated the market and frankly had a size and coloring breakdown for what we were actually going to produce after the initial uh, wave of orders came through. And so we ended up uh, doing a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, testing uh, different landing pages, H1s, calls to actions, copy, uh, different Facebook ads, probably went through about 50 different Facebook ad variations. And over the course of eight weeks, we ended up converting 11,000 emails to our email list um, for people that were jazzed about the, the product um, and about the brand. And those emails ended up converting at about four and a half percent on day one. And we ended up raising about $45,000 on day one. And then just like clockwork. And then that led into a $284,000 uh, crowdfunding campaign. Interesting. So what, I'm going to have to break down all those numbers and try and put that sure. into the, the, the show notes, because I think those numbers are very valuable to people and, and important for them to understand too. Um, because, Essentially, what you've just done is what I always I always preach about, and I practice as well, is which is set your goal, and then work your numbers backwards from there, so that right. you know what your single solitary goal needs to be. And like you, you know, so you figured out exactly how many emails addresses you needed to have on this initial list. Now, my question for you there, um, I mean, you obviously tested your landing pages, which were essentially pages to convert an email address to get somebody mm -hmm. to sign up for that um and so then you you obviously ran your ad campaigns were you running your ad campaigns for the crowdfunding or to get emails from people that were interested in your sheet uh so we were running we were running the campaigns to capture emails for people who wanted to sign up to be notified when our crowdfunding campaign went live so it was basically saying you know give us your email and you'll lock into the best price you'll ever get for the best sheets you'll ever get. I got you. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. Yeah. And no, my, to, to, this, to this day, my proudest accomplishment is convincing thousands of people to wait five months for bed sheets. <laughs> I swear, it's like it's something that I'll take to my grave. No, I think that's a great accomplishment, and it's really interesting the way you put it. I mean, who, yeah, like you know, it's one of those things. I mean. They always talk about it in business. If you have a product that people will wait for, then you know yeah. you've got something good. Well, that's pretty funny when you talk about people who would wait five months for bed sheets. It's but, great, uh, and 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 you know, and and just from a high level perspective for anybody who's considering doing a crowdfunding campaign out there, generally speaking, you need three forms of differentiation for a crowdfunded project to be received well. So for us, you know, our bed sheets are made out of eucalyptus lyocell, which is a a extremely sustainable material, but it's also softer than cotton. Um, it's more breathable. It's more moisture wicking. It's a really, really fantastic product. And so our three core value props were, you know, it's literally softer and more breathable than cotton. Um, so it's going to be a better night's sleep. Number two is that it costs about a third at our price versus what Bed Bath & Beyond was selling this material for. Um, and my retail background allowed me to kind of go ham on explaining why physical retail was so bad for you know, both customers and companies. Um, and then third was it's sustainable. 
um, and it uses about 96% less water than cotton sheets in comparison. Um, no insecticides, no pesticides, uh, really, really fantastic product. Um, you know, no petroleum or anything like that used in it either, like polyester. Um, and so I was, you know, I was just really, really excited to bring this product to the masses. Um, and, uh, but no, like you said, it was, it was business first. And then once the business was validated and, and we had, you know, the funds to do what we needed to do, uh, then we ran off to the races and, um, and that, and that business success, you know, that the hundreds of thousands of dollars made in a very short period of time, the continued pre-orders, the repeat purchase rates, the conversion rates, the, the low cost of acquisition. Um, you know, you want to talk about how to get investors to give you money for a consumer brand. Um, if you're able to, to show these numbers to people with confidence and discuss them with confidence and, and share them very transparently, um, then it, people respond very, very well. And that's how we've been able to raise our capital is, is just by having very honest conversations with investors about our numbers. And they're able to just compare them to other people that are pitching them and decide, you know what, we, we want to get behind the, uh, Sheets and Giggles. And it's great. Yeah. Well, that sounds good. Um, you mentioned as well, um, just the growth trajectory that you're on right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and has a lot of that been, been, um, well, how has that happened and, and what's that been, you know, how would you say that that's been like, how have you gone ahead and, and gotten yourself on that growth trajectory? Uh, it's been, it's been a couple things. Um, so, you know, so basically the, I think the main thing is that, um, there's like an order of operations, right? Once you begin converting at a good level and at a good level, I would say for an e-commerce company is anything over 3%, um, you know, and the higher it goes, the better. Uh, but you know, once you start converting at a, at a decent or good level, really it becomes about two things. It becomes about your brand awareness and it becomes about your category awareness and where you rank in that category. And so our category for lack of a better term is, eucalyptus sheets and so people will search for eucalyptus sheets uh, on both amazon and google um and that's been a really fantastic uh way for us to, to find new customers because we rank very highly i think we're number two on google um and number one on amazon for that query and so that's been really great for us to um you know have that category growing category awareness is similar similar to bamboo sheets if you want to think about the category awareness um and then also in terms of our branded searches uh, we have a very, very powerful brand name vehicle, and that's always been very intentional from day one is having the most differentiated brand in the betting space. The space is boring as hell. I mean, I don't like to pick on my competitors, but like, Jesus, if I see another picture of like white sheets with a white wall behind it, I'm going to lose my mind. Um, and so, and so, you know, like I, the, one of the reasons I was so enamored with this industry is because I was like, oh my God, it's like a total blank slate of creativity. And I would encourage anybody out there listening not to start a bedsheets company because we have enough competitors. Um, but, you know, to look at other spaces that are in these like very boring blank space areas. I have a buddy who's starting a direct consumer hanger company. And I, I mean, God knows that that's going to work. But like that has to be the most boring space in the world beyond maybe toothpicks. And so I think that like, you know, looking at spaces like sunglasses or people have done it a lot with like shorts and clothing and shoes and like zigging where everybody else is zagging from a brand voice is like a very powerful thing if you're able to do it in a very smart way and so i think and, and, and by smart i mean like you know not just like intelligent but like in in kind of like a um where you're speaking to people in a manner that's not you know different for the sake of being different but rather is just something they've never seen before 
um, that is very striking and engaging. Uh, and so I think that that's been our biggest, our biggest, uh, benefit has been, you know, sheets and giggles, you know, you want to compare us to bed, bath and beyond or, or Brooklyn and a bowl and branch or, you know, like two, two presidents sleep on our sheets. Like who cares how many presidents sleep on your sheets? Like, does that like matter? Like which presidents do like, do I care which, like, you know what I mean? So like, I, I, that stuff drives me crazy and bores me to tears. And I think our, our weird brand has been the best vehicle for our brand awareness. That's awesome. Yeah, one of the things that I've, I mean, it's kind of interesting what you've talked about throughout the show is because one of the things that, um, I don't know how to say his name exactly, but uh, <laughs> Banuki is his last name. Um, and of course, I've forgotten his first name, but and it, Drew, Drew Sanuki, I think it is, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, he's got a, a good podcast out there too. And But one of the things that uh, he had said, which is, is forget your brand. I just want to make make my first dollar. Uh, so basically, his his standpoint, and he's a big in marketing. So he's a big about the branding too, in some senses. But what I took from that, and what I've kind of morphed it into myself, is you know start with making sure you're you're earning your revenues, and you, you've mm-hmm. done what you've talked about with the validation, product validation, and then building your brand through through a validated product and, and, and through the revenues and, and that sort of thing. And, and once you're doing that, you're, you're kind of heading in the right direction as opposed to trying to build a brand first. Um, what is your perspective on that? Because I know it's like, do you put, do you put sales before your brand or your brand before um, your sales or where is that magic? Uh, that's a great question. I and I, I think I actually come out on the other side of it, which is like brand before sales, because I'm I'm kind of looking at it from a long term uh, perspective, and I can right. only I can only answer that from a microcosm level of like um, we barely email people. Like we we probably email people maybe once every two or three months, um, and we do that very consciously because our email list now is in the tens tens of thousands of people. I think it might be over a hundred thousand now, and we get open rates in the 40 to 50% range almost every single time. Um, and so it's a very powerful thing when we, when we do email people and we want them to take an action, we know we can get them to do that. And, and it's not always for sales. Sometimes it's for donations. Sometimes it's for, you know, giving back. Sometimes it's for, you know, some, a contest or something funny. But, you know, the, the bottom line is that I think no matter how powerful your brand is, no matter how much somebody loves your product, if I get four emails from you in a month to buy your stuff, I hate your company. Hate it. Like I like I will I will never buy from you again. Holy shit, leave me alone. Stop spamming my inbox. And so I think that, that like that's my reaction to it. And I think that I'm not alone in that. Yeah. Um, and so just kind of intuitively, I err on the side of making sure that we never exhaust people because our brand, you know, sheets and giggles, it loses its power if you keep if you keep crushing people with you know with the funny or the or you know the the brand name over and over again and so it's very important to me that we never lose that power and that people are excited when they see an email from us or they oh i haven't heard from them in a while or even you know oh are they still in business or like whatever it is like i you know i want them to like have a reaction of like you know um curiosity and not exhaustion when they see our brand and so um, I think that sales are great. It, it also really depends on the industry that you're in. Like if you're selling widgets and, and and you need somebody to buy repeatedly or you need to kind of always be at the forefront of that person's mind because they're constantly buying 
this food product or this drink, or they're constantly buying this, you know, thing they need in their lives on a daily or weekly basis. Um, then yeah, I think that the repetition and, and airing on the side of sales is completely fine in that scenario. I appreciate your viewpoint on that. I think it's actually a refreshing take on it because a lot of the time you get, um, I talk to a lot of marketers out there and they're like, just, I don't care if people are leaving our, our email list. Because I make more money by emailing them than I don't. Yeah, no, I, I, I get into those fights with my marketing team pretty frequently, but um, you know, the, what I tell them is, look, we haven't raised enough money from the wrong people and I'm, I'm choosing those words very specifically to be focused on growth at all costs. Like we raised money, we raised a limited amount of money purposefully from the right people who have goals that are aligned with our goals in terms of building a long lasting, growing, profitable business. And, you know, if, and, and I've seen this before with investors who are growth at all costs, people who need you to go 10 X in order to raise a series B, or they need you to, you know, give them a 50, 60, 70 X return on their investment um, in order to make the math work on their fund. And like those people are what cause, and not, not only those people like, like ambitious CEOs and ambitious marketing teams, um, they cause this kind of growth at all cost mentality that winds up, you know, producing an S one filing that's completely upside down or, you know, that, that wind up, um, you know, with a down round or that wind up um, with an acquisition that's below your last valuation. Um, and I think it's, I think it's just important for like, for my team. And I stress this with them to just keep in mind that like our goals are our goals. They're shared by our investors. And so the pressure that we have to perform is the pressure that we put on ourselves and not, you know, this growth at all costs kind of, um, you know, mentality that's really infected the consumer space in the last um, five or six years. Well put. I uh, I appreciate that refreshing take on it. And when you talked about ambitious, you know, ambitious CEOs and that sort of thing, it, to me it does sound like you are an ambitious CEO, but you're you're also very goal driven and and um, focused on on your well your brand, so to speak. Thanks, um, yes. man. Appreciate that. Um, that all said, I think you've given so much information and so much value to this call to all of our listeners, and I appreciate that. Uh, that all said, I always like to end it with, do you have any final words of wisdom? <laughs> um, there's a, an order of operations that I really like to see people do when they start a business. Um, and I, heard, well, I had to learn this the hard way. <laughs> Um, by, you know, getting fired and, and seeing, you know, 20 of my friends laid off on a Monday. Um, it, the order operation should be write a business plan, um, build a financial model, make sure that the business plan, the financial model line up and that you feel very confident about both. Uh, there's a fantastic business model I'll rec or, or financial model I'll recommend. If you Google startup rocket financial model, great starter financial model for anybody to use when starting a business. Um, so business, business plan, financial model, validation of the business plan in terms of getting your initial demand or traction or interest from customers. And then me either making your first sales or then going out and delivering the product but not to do that last piece of building and delivering the product until you've done the first three or four pieces. Right. Excellent. Excellent advice for everybody listening. Appreciate that. And uh, thank you very much for being on the show, Colin. 
Um, and yeah, I, I've got nothing more to say, but thank <laughs> you. And I think you were well-spoken and, and articulated a lot of great value and thoughts very well. So appreciate that. Thanks, Brent. I appreciate it. And if, and if anybody, um, you know, wants to get a hold of me for anything else, I'm a pretty easy guy to find, uh, LinkedIn, Colin McIntosh, uh, sheets and giggles were really easily Googleable. Uh, and I just, uh, started a new blog. Uh, I don't know if I'll be, uh, working on it, um, you know, as productively as I want, but it's colinblogs.com and I'm easy to find on Twitter and other social media too. Awesome. I completely forgot to ask that final question. I appreciate you just sharing that information. I just, I get a lot of people that like that it will email me and email is like the worst way to get a hold of me. I think I have like 3000 unread emails. Um, and some of them are probably important too. Um, but yeah, if anybody wants to find me, uh, Colin McIntosh, ColinBoggs.com or, uh, on Twitter or LinkedIn. Awesome. All right. Thanks again, Colin. It's been a great, uh, great ch chatting with you. Thanks, Brandon. Appreciate it. You have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever. Stay hungry. Stay hungry, stay foolish. Welcome to E-Commerce All-Stars, brought to you by Nadimo.com, where we help e-commerce entrepreneurs accelerate growth through modern technology and innovative thinking.